It's not about putting your tomatoes on your desk and that helps you write. You're listening to The Cosmic Cast. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cosmic Cast, the planetary science podcast brought to you by the Earth and Solar System team here at the University of Manchester. Although we're not quite here today, we're all in our homes because we're all uh, self-isolating or something. And so over here is Marissa Lowe. Hello. Over here is Ricky Bahir. Hello. Down here is Elliot Carter. Hello. And Thomas Harvey is sat right there. Hello. So this is a slightly new format. We're testing to see whether this works. And if it does, then the next few weeks, you'll see our faces. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Only when watching episodes, though, not just as like a general thing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, while, uh, you know, the country's still on lockdown, we still hope to bring you uh, weekly episodes um, and we'll have a, a hopefully a continuing roster of exciting guests for you over the coming months to keep you entertained mm-hmm. while you're all working from home. Um, but to kick things off really this week, I thought we'd talk a bit about paper writing. I guess as the lab is now sort of shut and out of bounds, a lot of us are going to be sitting around catching up on on writing uh, papers and that. So I just thought it'd be quite cool to have a chat about what works for you guys. If you've got any funny stories about paper writing. <laughs> I mean, Elliot, I know you've just submitted a paper. I have indeed, yeah. I'm not sure there's any funny stories, just... <laughs> Mostly sad. Mostly sad stories, yeah. <laughs> you just no, submitted I mean, something to GC, uh, Geochemical, was it? GCA? Geochemica et Comicus, Chemica Acta. <laughs> yeah, something in Latin. A few Latin heads out there. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So we, for, the, for the benefit of people who may not be acquainted with the academic publication process, mm. do you want to give a bit of a, a rundown of what the steps are mm. first? Yeah, so you write a paper and then you submit it to a journal. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. Well, wow. <laughs> that's, that's very useful. over there. I suppose for a bit more context, we should probably say that me and Tom are in the second years of our PhD now and are just starting to put together our first couple of papers. Um, Elliot is very close to the end of his PhD. So, sorry, very, Elliot. very close. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So is putting together some papers for his thesis now. Um, Ricky completed his PhD back in November, was it? Mm-hmm. Um, and again, did his thesis in the alternative format, writing it as papers. Uh, whereas John, you're a postdoc, so you've written a fair few more papers than any of us. Um, so yeah, you will be a, a good wealth of experience, right? <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> yeah, you could tell by his previous input of you write a paper and then send it <laughs> off to get published. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult thing i mean you know i I think there's a perception out there that you can just sit there and and bash out papers um but actually it's quite difficult and you know it's normal to sort of have periods of writer's block and to be productive for only like a few hours a day i mean you must find that also the same thing writing a thesis as well presumably am i and you can't keep up a red hot pace of meaningful writing all the time it's quite difficult i find yeah i mean I found, so I've written sort of two papers quite recently, one submit and one I'm going to submit soon. And the first one, it took me about six months to get to a second draft. So I wrote a draft and I didn't know what to do with it next. So it took me ages to get it to the next step. But then the next one, I just sort of wrote in three weeks, basically. And then I've just 
done another draft in a week, another draft in a week, yeah. and it's been much smoother. I mean, I would say I don't know why. Unusual, but I say it's quite unusual though. Normally, you do get a lot of iteration between co-authors. I mean, normally yeah. it takes many, many revisions. So yeah, so essentially, for for the listeners, writing a paper generally does not consist of one author. I, no. I guess it depends really, but generally it doesn't, especially. At the PhD level, it's never going to be a one-author paper because you've got your supervisors. Well, even in more senior years, it's it's rare to have first author, just sole author papers. It's more yes, common yeah. that you'd have a team of people that have, you know, did contribute to different data sets or have, you know, different statistical skills or whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah. So as part of that, you will write the paper. Uh, there'll be the lead author who will do most of the writing. But then legally, uh, I guess I think it is legally part of the the process is that the other authors have to have had their input on it mm -hmm. before you can. Well, but they're going to want to comment anyway because their name is yeah, on it ultimately. Yeah. But um, yes, I mean you know for for the top tier journals like GCA and and also your, your Nature's and your Sciences, you know it has to be very finely tuned and well crafted. You know every sentence has to be like really well written to be to express exactly what you mean and reviewers can be incredibly critical even if you have like a handful of like grammar mistakes and that kind of thing as well so you know language matters tremendously um, which is something I struggle with sometimes is just to try and express ideas as concisely and as well crafted as possible and that's why sometimes you can go through many many revisions during my first postdoc in America I, I had a situation where I was, was writing a paper and the introduction kept on bouncing back and I think we went through 14 iterations of the introduction to get it to a point <laughs> where everyone was happy it was absurd and we did it in in uh, in one day where it was only like three paragraphs long and I would write it, I would send it around, it would come back, I would have more things and then just and then my boss just walked through my door and he said, what the hell is this? This is this introduction is rubbish. <laughs> wow. well, so he literally came into your office and just said that? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Did you cry? I didn't cry, no. Uh, but no, it, it's, you know, but it's... It's a very iterative process writing uh, a journal and reviewers can be insanely petty and critical. And particularly for, for GCA, I've always found it quite hard to publish in GCA because they have a very high bar. So good luck with that. Looking, yeah, we're looking forward <laughs> to that. Can't wait, can't wait. <laughs> one, of, one of the things I found funny is you, you, you get through all that, you know, you write the thing and you make all these nice figures, graphs or whatever. And then you come to actually like submit it and suddenly you only think, okay, what size is that going to be on the pitch? Just all these silly, petty things that don't seem like they matter, but you have to spend days, days on end just sorting yes. out the size of some text on an image and then, yeah. okay, what are all these spreadsheets I'm putting with it so that they've got all the data that I, yeah, that's very fiddly. Me. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the online uploading process is quite um, fiddly as well. I've, I've never managed to do it all in one go. It's always taking me several attempts because I've always uploaded the wrong file or something like that. <laughs> so here's is a it... question for the room. How do you all start writing a paper? Mm. You... Um, I, I like to start with the introduction because it helps me sort of it's frame. Start, yeah. No, but genuinely though, because I mean, once you have the introduction set up and framed, it helps you focus what, or uh, for me anyway, it helps me focus then what the actual discussion is going to be about. It, it sort of sets up in my mind 
what the story I'm trying to tell is. Because ultimately, all papers you're trying to weave a narrative with a bunch of data that you're trying to that, yeah. that, you're, that you're trying to uh, write about. And so, if you, if you can sell it, you want to sell the paper and, and the study and why it's important in the introduction. And by writing that first, it helps me get my mind into that sort of mindset of what that narrative is. Then the abstract, however, is always the last thing I write because then I can then yeah, reflect on what I've written in the conclusions mm -hmm. and in, in, in the introduction and blend those two together. Yeah, so, so for me, conclusions and abstracts are the last thing that I yes, write. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in a way, I almost yeah. write it linearly because after you've got the introduction, it's easy to then do like the methods and the results because that's just like mm -hmm. pretty standard stuff. And then really, the the, the the most of it is is then just doing the discussion. But but I, you know, and a good introduction, I would say, is the most important part of the paper because it's what is going to basically sell the entire paper, and it's what. Yeah, exactly. People... And it's also kind of like watching a film. Yeah. If if you can't hook the the reader or yeah. the viewer in the first mm -hmm. few minutes, they're not going to want to read the rest of it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it, exactly. And it, particularly for reviewers, and if you're aiming for top tier journals, you have to concisely and clearly make the case of why your particular study is important enough to be in that particular journal. Mm -hmm. And if you don't make that clearly in the introduction, then they're not going to wade through uh, the rest of the paper to try and find out for themselves yeah. why it's important or interesting. That's so, difficult. I find I'm very aware of all that. And so I put it off to last. <laughs> so I start with the methods and then there's yeah. oh, that's really easy. And then I'm like, oh, I've written 3,000 yeah. words. What a day. What a day. <laughs> it's really, really. In fairness, though. It's yeah. fine. And really. then you've got a bit of momentum. And then I like start getting into the discussion as an outline. And then right at the end, I'll be like, oh, I need to write an introduction. The introduction is definitely the hardest thing, I think, to write. Yes, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So what I, well, I, I guess sometimes as well, it, until you've got all the data, uh, you don't know what the narrative of your paper is essentially what you want it to be, really. No, this is true. So normally, I guess even before putting pen to paper, I would probably have like a series of figures that I know I probably want to include, mm -hmm. and then have like a rough idea of what the story is, and then I basically put that idea into paper via an introduction, and then go from there I suppose. Yeah. I love it I feel over the course of the past couple of minutes we've managed to say I start with the intro I start with the methods I start with the figures I start with the discussion. <laughs> yeah. So I asked this question on Twitter a few months ago when I was starting to write my first paper and I had the same sort of thing you know some people quite a few people said start with the figures because that's the main thing you're telling the story with um, then some people said they you know often and this is what I've experienced actually um, you can write your introduction and you think you've set it up right and then you write the rest of it and then you go oh wait no I need to go back and completely change that so that's, that's okay but that, that's normal that's that's down to that iterative process of constantly refining and, and making better so yeah that's yeah I mean so is it I guess ultimately everyone's going to have a slightly different you know approach and so really it's about getting into the sort of routine of you know what works for you and your working style I suppose there's no correct or incorrect method of doing this I don't think. I found because um, the two papers that I'm working on at the moment are very different in type so one of them is 
um, a modeling paper. So mm. a lot of the background stuff is here's lots of equations, here's lots of graphs. Whereas the other paper, paper I'm working on is based on the work I did in Durham last summer, which was an experiment, like an analog experiment. So it's very, here's the methods, here's the instrument set up, here's the pictures of the bubbles themselves. They're very yeah. different papers. Um, and yeah, writing them, uh, I don't know exactly how, but I've had to write them in different ways. Mm -hmm. yeah. oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the subject yeah. matter of the paper will completely alter the, the writing style in a way as well. Yeah. Do you guys ever work out what it is you're going to say as you go along? Because like after those two papers, I've got a third one I need to write, which I started in first draft. And basically I've gone through and with each part been like, okay, what does that tell me? And I've only started to understand it as I write it. Mm. Yeah, sometimes. I, I guess that's mostly the case, actually, when I write abstracts, because I suppose the way I've ended up doing things is that I'll end up writing an LPSC abstract on some data. And because there's a hard deadline and there's all, normally only like a month to, to write it, I'll have to figure that out as I write the abstract. And then that abstract will then form the basis of, of the paper that I then write up you know, months later or whatever, or a year later in some cases. <laughs> So yeah. I suppose the kind of so with the way that I'm writing up a, a couple of bits of work at the moment, mm. they're sort of because the data sets are still somewhat incomplete. I'm kind of using it as a way to kind of track the progress into the project so far. So I kind of started with my introduction area, which was mm. the kind of literature, all of the literature that I'm looking at to kind of <clears throat> compare. So for instance, like the metal stuff that I was talking about a few weeks ago, hmm. um, I've started to write that up with all of the results I've got so far with a kind of, my, my discussion at the moment sort of looks like, well, when I have this next piece of data, that will then kind of contribute this information to the understanding. So it's kind of it's kind of like a weird halfway house between writing an abstract and a paper because it's forward speculative about the things that I haven't done yet, um, but also trying to keep track of everything that I have done because mm. I feel like if I waited until everything was completely done to put anything down on paper, I would have forgotten a lot of the stuff that I did at the start. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's interesting because the. The, the writing down process has definitely led me to the next questions that I need to ask mm -hmm. when it comes mm -hmm. to collecting more data. And so one of the things I think I'm going to struggle with not having done it before is where's that cutoff? You know, mm -hmm. where, where do you say, right, this is now a complete, that has answered all the questions that I posed at the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I feel in the exact same position. Obviously we're at the same position time-wise in our PhDs, but also what we've probably both done is gone, right, here's my PhD project, let's put it into these sort of chunks. Mm. But those chunks fit together into the overall project. That so I've really struggled with trying to take out one piece and turn it into its own story, mm. uh, but still have that story fit into the next mm. two pieces that I haven't written yet or haven't done the work for yet. So yeah. it's trying to, yeah, future-proof it so it fits with the other ones, but also That's make interesting. it interesting. I haven't really thought of that before. I guess postdoc projects are a bit different because they're more sort of mm. discrete packages. So it's easier to sort mm. of identify individual papers. But yeah, you're right for a PhD. Yeah, that is, because um, yeah, with a PhD, you need to uh, you need to go. This is the reason I did this, which then led on to this, which led on yeah. to that. Whereas yeah, for postdoc, you don't need to do that really. Oh, okay. I think 
especially as this is the case that we now have this paper format for thesis submission, mm. because you're thinking about the publication of, you know, chapters as you go, mm. rather than kind of writing the whole thing and then converting that into papers at the end. I think that's, that's where this kind of comes from, is trying to, you know, you don't want to accidentally exclude a bunch of information that then doesn't fit into something else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's another difficulty you will come across though. For, so for instance, with my papers from my dissertation, I did include a lot more information that I've subsequently removed because it just doesn't fit the narrative of the paper mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. So yes. in your dissertation, you need to go, hey, look, this is all the work I've done. The, the time you've given me, I've used it wisely. Um, it was a necessary, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, you no, hope that's but, the case. But it's, it's true, yeah, because not everything you collect is going to fit neatly within a particular story. Yeah, exactly. Tell. Yeah. Yeah. But in your thesis, you need to show everything. Yes. Whereas for the paper itself, you don't. Yeah. If it doesn't yeah. fit the narrative, you don't. Did, you, in. did yeah. you include sort of dead ends in your thesis, I guess, Ricky and John? Well, I'm, just, so, I'm just throwing them away. Like there's, there's data I collected that I didn't think was very good. Or you yeah. Uh, well, well I mean, I, I did my PhD at a time where it wasn't, I don't know if Holloway do it now, but Royal Holloway at the time didn't do PhDs by submission, by papers. It was all written up longhand. So, I didn't really have to worry about splitting things up into coherent paper chunks. I just had a series mm. of chapters that were loosely, you know, paper sort of like packages, but not really because there was a lot more leeway then to like properly link things up. So it was a bit different, I think. And, and as a result, I was able to literally incorporate all data I collected, irrespective of whether it was good or not. I would, I would strongly advise adding it at, at least in the supplements at the end. So for me, mm -hmm. uh, a large part of my project was mapping out these river valleys on Mars. And the actual amount of those that I actually used was a, a minuscule amount. I think I used probably about 50% of them to do my analysis. So I just, I showed them at the end to say, look, I've got all this data that can be used in the future, but for my actual thesis, it wasn't necessary to use it all. But it just okay, shows, yeah, that makes you know, sense. Yeah. yeah, I have done extra analysis and, uh, you know, it just explains where that's time's gone, essentially. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm not particularly worried that they'll look at what I've done and think, oh, what was he doing? Well, you have a lot oh, of data. Oh, I would be. If I was you, Elliot, I, I would be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm worried about a lot of things, but not that. <laughs> so are the particular times of day that people work best at? I find that I do a lot of good writing sort of late morning, just before lunch and late afternoon, like around about four o'clock. I'm an evening. Mm -hmm. Like I, I get most done after 10 p.m. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. It's, oh that, it's not very helpful. No. But... <laughs> Yeah, like at the moment, my working pattern is very slow morning, and then I start to ramp up after lunch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then and then really, it's it's late at night when I'm wanting to go to bed that uh, some of that indecision goes. Yeah, some of the indecision goes away, and I just go, okay, no, that, that's I'm going to write this. Mm -hmm. and I, write I, like, I used to. Sorry, sorry, go, uh, go on, Marissa. Uh, I like having something written before midday. Mm -hmm. uh, if I have a good start to the day, that sets me up well for the rest of the day. Yeah, so I find I guess, that I need to write something in the morning before lunchtime, yeah. um, and then the rest of the day is okay. 
Whereas if I got the so I'll get to after lunchtime and I'm like, I haven't written anything that kind of uh, psychs me <laughs> out a little bit. See, I yeah. sort of have the opposite. If I have stuff to do later on, I can't stop. I, that distracts me from what I'm trying to do. Because if I'm sat there at my computer and I know that I could go and do something else because there's stuff that needs doing, then I want to go and do that. Whereas if I get everything done and then it's quiet and it's calm because it's the evening, then I can just sit there and kind of ignore everything else. And, and especially if I'm trying to work to a deadline, I find, I think mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I'm writing as I go, then I think writing in the day is much better because mm-hmm. that's when your brain's kind of most on it. But I think, especially when I'm approaching a deadline, I need that quiet and that mm-hmm. lack of distraction from everything else. Well, deadlines are interesting. Definitely, I think I work better if there is a, a hard deadline because it actually forces me to focus. Whereas when it's just writing normal papers and there isn't a hard deadline, it can be some days really difficult to try and like focus in on actually writing. Mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, as long as it's like a realistic deadline, then I'm okay working towards it. Mm. Whereas, yeah, I agree. I, I found particularly last summer when there was less going on around the uni in general and there were less deadlines floating around. I was a bit like, oh, there's not as much to, to work towards, to plan towards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, I think it's a real benefit though to, to change uh, your mindset so you give yourself deadlines for things, even if they're arbitrary. Because I think there's an element of once you're past your PhD, there's not really anyone saying to you, you need to get a do- something done by then. So I know I'm only I'm only new to doing a post. No, yeah, you've got to self-motivate to say because you, you obviously you're consciously aware that you've got to keep publishing in order to stay competitive. Yeah. But I'm just saying, some days it's harder than others in order to get into that mindset. It's not mindset oh, is not always yeah. there, and I think that's something well, for that some doesn't people. get talked about a lot though. Um, um, I think it's going to be yeah particularly interesting over the next few weeks where there aren't necessarily any conferences coming mm-hmm. up anymore. Yeah. Or, or yeah, exactly. I mean, this is ostensibly you know a two week or month long or how long it's going to be stretch where, you know, we could in theory get a lot done. But <laughs> but but also I'm not talking to the cat. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I found it a lot more difficult than I was expecting to work from home. Actually, I, I was expecting to focus a lot more, but. Yeah, definitely it's been harder to get into that into that swing of it i found i'm going slower like mm. i think just a lack will... of structure to the day like there's no time when everyone's having lunch you don't get in at a specific time you haven't got i don't know personally i well, cycle to uni yeah. so i get that exercise it's that lunch is interesting this is why i think that i work quite well in the morning because i know that at 12 o'clock i'm going to go downstairs and uh, have a chat with people and that's like a hard time and so i know that if i want to do something in the morning you know, I've got to make sure I, I am I do something before twelve o'clock, and then I've mm-hmm. earned a treat by going downstairs and chatting with people. <laughs> Unfortunately, young Pepper the cat does not accommodate good lunchtime banter. <laughs> um, something that I was doing a few times at uni before this happened uh, was these uh, shut up and write sessions. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they're run by like the library at Manchester, mm. uh, and it's a two-hour session. And you, they use the Pomodoro technique. Um, yeah, what, what is the Pomodoro technique? I've heard that a few times, but I can never remember what it is. It's so like tomatoes. Yeah, I think it is, I think it was an Italian person who came up with it. So that's why it's named after the Italian word for tomato, I think. Mm. Um, it's not about putting yeah, the, your tomatoes on your desk and that helps you write. 
If that no, it's, if you don't write, they throw tomato. Oh, away. right. Okay, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's actually up to interpretation. So, you know, you do whatever as long as it involves tomatoes. Right. But the one yeah. that does is um, you do 35 minutes of writing and then take a five minute break. Mm. Um, so I've seen like the ratios can vary um, and obviously you can make up your own little schedule for that. But yeah, you close everything else just for 35 minutes, um, just write and then have a five minute break come back to it and you do that a couple of times and I think after two hours you then have a longer break but you can repeat it and yeah it's good to well that that's interesting because a lot of people's attention span is on the order of like 30 minutes to three quarters of an hour isn't it mm -hmm. yeah, so that's that interesting yeah I, I, think... I, I did a bit of that and I found it really helpful like when really? there, I think there were a couple of days when I wrote 5,000 words in two days mm. yeah. decent words Okay. Yeah. Well, there we are. So if like, decent words there... and they weren't just made up made up words. They were Some real are, words. Only half of them were made up and <laughs> good. Okay, that's not bad. Yeah. That's not that's bad. Interesting. Well, if any of our listeners have had good experience with the Pomodoro technique, do uh, do tweet at us with the hashtag Pomodoro. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, send your tomatoes to PO box. <laughs> 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 um, so I make sure on that subject uh, of the Pomodoro technique, so I guess the Pomodoro <laughs> technique is essentially intensive for 35 minutes and then five minutes off to just have a little bit of a break and then get back into intensive writing. Yeah. Um, I very, very rarely work without any background noise on. I'll mm. either have a podcast, music on, or a video on in the background. And I actually find I work a lot more effectively when I do that than I do when I don't have anything on. Yeah, interesting. Um, Sometimes that works for me. I, I find actually that if I um, talk out aloud as I'm typing, that helps me. But that, I, think that's just, <laughs> I think that's just me. <laughs> I think... I would I think, love to be a fly on the wall for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I agree. I like to have something playing on like one of the other screens. And I think basically what I sort of do is rather than doing sort of 35 minutes and then a mm -hmm, kind mm -hmm. of a, a separate break, is I'll have like, I'll write for a couple of minutes and then have a micro break, like just to look at something else mm -hmm. and that, then go that's back exactly to it. exactly what I do. And it just gives yeah. my brain just a little mm -hmm. kind of a rejig. It's like, oh, yeah. that's a nice little break. And it kind of sometimes actually, while taking that break, I have the thought that is the next thing that I'm doing. Yeah, Th yeah. That is exactly what happens that's with me as well. Yeah. So are you saying yeah. that basically people naturally implement a version of the Pomodoro technique anyway? Is that well, just how I, I think wired? What, that's our technique, the Pomodoro yeah. technique we use, essentially, mm. just yeah, inadvertently. Yeah. Tomatoes, right? You've got I think the tomatoes. Mm. Yeah, yeah, tomatoes, yeah. 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 And you add a bit I of basil. Yeah. It's all about Explains balancing. why there are no tomatoes in the supermarkets. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about balancing your kind of attention span, the amount of idea you can hold in your head at any one time, mm -hmm. and the fact that your brain just needs a break sometimes mm -hmm. to, to not be, you know, Otherwise, I just get a headache. And then that's, mm -hmm. that's completely I, counterproductive because I have to stop. <laughs> I don't know for you, Tom, but I find, when, cause I, because I do that, it also gives me, it almost lies to myself and says, oh, you're not working right now, even though mm -hmm. I am working. Yeah, kind of get this, like I definitely don't get as tired as I would from just constantly working because I feel like I'm actually doing something relaxing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, especially if, you know, it's listening to music or something, that's something that I would be doing anyway. Yeah. So... Mm -hmm. If I can have it on in the background and still concentrate, which seems to be the case most of the time, mm -hmm. then it's it just makes it a bit more enjoyable. 
yeah, 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 it's true. In particular, I really find that um, high tempo music really helps me, actually. I like to put on that deep 80, synth, aren't you? Yeah, 80 synth wave on YouTube. And then I, I put it to I put it to double speed as well. And I actually genuinely, <laughs> genuinely, that actually really helps me concentrate because there's enough. I'd be really interested to see what happens to your heart rate. Yeah. I've heard you do that on this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> And you're talking to yourself this whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's lucky we've got a dedicated spare room here. Cause, I mean... yeah. Oh, so we were talking obviously about um, the iterative process. So sometimes mm. you can get a paper, and genuinely, I think one of my papers that we we were editing at the moment, I may have been doing it for about a year now. We've probably been about eight iterations of it. Uh, a large part because you do an iter you do a version for the thesis and then after you've handed in your thesis you actually go we don't need all that stuff in there let's reformat it get the narrative different and uh it's all been worth it really close to the to the the end product now and we think it'll be really good at the end but then there's another paper i've done where it's me and one of my supervisors my supervisor said, I don't even want to see it. Just send it off for publication. <laughs> I, I did one write of it, sent it off for publication. The reviewers made a few comments. I did that, and then it got published. So there's sometimes um, where you just... But what journal? Oh, it's not a great journal. It's just Earth, Moon, and Planets. Well, there we go. So some journals, it's definitely easier to get published in. Yeah. Lower impact ones will publish any old garbage. Higher impact ones. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. I mean, it's it's true. John, you are just asking to get a paper rejected. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations anyway, Ricky. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, your thank any you. old garbage. Yeah. <laughs> yep, my garbage paper. Publications and publications. If it's got a DOI, I'm interested. <laughs> it's been referenced already. Let me go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone saying this is garbage reference for here and, and Jones 2020. <laughs> that was actually John. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to boost your H index, Ricky. Exactly. Well, anyway, we probably better wrap up here, I suppose. Um, if you've enjoyed this uh, video podcast format, do uh, leave a comment and a like uh, in the video below or whatever the equivalent is on Spotify. Can you like things on Spotify? Probably not. I don't know. Oh, sure. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, do let us know if, if this is working for you. We're hoping to sort of uh, keep rolling episodes out like this uh, every week. Um, but yes, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, we've been the Cosmic Cast from the Earth and Solar System team at the University of Manchester. Um, and if you're looking for more Earth and planetary science content, uh, check out our Twitter page, uh, just at Earth Solar System. The details um, will be below here. Mm -hmm. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and we have a blog on WordPress. So thank you very much for listening. Wash your hands, stay safe, stay indoors, and see you next week. See you next week. Bye.